Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. I'm your host Gareth Hanna and with me are rugby reporting duo Jonathan Bradley. Hi. And Adam Kendry. Hello. We have at long last then got a rugby match to look back on, even if the performance was not much to write home about. But we've also got another glorified pre-season game to look ahead to this weekend. And we'll discuss potential ramifications of this early season form for Ulster. Is it early season form? It's not really. It's late season form now, isn't it? We'll address your listener questions as well, but first things first, what about the latest injury news? Rob Herring, for a start, pulled up with an injury in the warm-up at the weekend. What do we know about him, Johnny, and and other injury worries? He has a chest wall injury. A chest Um, wall injury? Well, that's a new one. Which was not something I'd seen before. Too many chest bumps in training, it sounds like. No no high high fives, but chest bumps. Um, but no, he's he's going to be fit. Uh, it was obviously something that they were aware of coming down because they had um, three other hookers with them among their extra players. Mm-hmm. We had said last week, actually, um, I was going to say interesting to note, but it's probably not that interesting. Uh, we had said last week they were only going to be able to bring 25. That obviously did not pan out because they had about 30 with them, including extra hookers. Tom Stewart was there, as well as John Andrew, who came onto the bench. Adam McBurney came into the starting lineup whenever Rob Herring was out, so... They were clearly aware of it. Uh, so Rob's going to be back this week, it seems. James Hume and Alan O'Connor are not going to be back this week. Luke Marshall is out injured. Rob Little is available. I think that's it. What's the issue with Luke Marshall? Do we know much about his injury? No, just that he's injured. <laughs> so could be, could be a bruised toe, could be a broken leg or anything in between. Could be absolutely anything. Okay, but he's out for this weekend, basically, is what we know, and beyond that, anybody's guess. So the game itself, 26-20, Ulster were beaten. Obviously, it was all a little bit meaningless after Edinburgh's win over Glasgow the day before. But here's a little bit, if you haven't uh, heard or read any of it yet, of what Dan McFarland had to say after the game. I don't want to take stuff away from Connor, but that was that was a shadow of our... Uh, our normal selves and you know slightly unexpected um, or very unexpected situation in the fact that you know with no pre-season games first game out but I was still hoping for more but the the, the bottom line is uh, you watched Leinster turn up in a in a game last night and uh, in a game that, that had no meaning for, for for them and I thought they were a lot closer to the money than we were we were today so we're, we're gonna wait go away have a, have a have a think about it it's certainly not catastrophic by any, any sense of the imagination, but uh, we we don't feel we played uh, as well as we should have done. You know, next week we'll be uh, we'll be looking to um, compare what we put out in the certainly in the first half today with what we know we look like and try and bridge that gap. You know, and we're, we're not alone in that. There, there are plenty of teams across world rugby who their first weekend out didn't produce close to what they would hope to produce so uh, we're, in fact we're probably in the majority uh, but that doesn't make it any less disappointing when you, you hope for better. So conceding four tries obviously is not going to be conducive to a good result but Adam what exactly went wrong for Ulster here in a game that this time last week we were saying they should have little problems in winning? I think they were off the 
pace. I think it's just pure and simple as that. Whatever they were doing in training, either they didn't bring into the game, or perhaps the training they've been doing up to the game hadn't been as good as they thought it was. Because from minute one, Connacht just looked like they were hungrier, they were better in the tackle, they were better at the breakdown. Everything just seemed to go their way. And for me, Ulster just never really got out of, out of the box until maybe about the 25th minute. Uh, and then they just couldn't get over the line. and Or, well, to be honest, actually, they got over the line, but they couldn't get the ball down over the line, which was maybe the bigger issue. Johnny, it was a dead rubber, obviously, in terms of the uh, meaningfulness of the result for Ulster, but it was the same for Connacht. So why could Connacht get up for that uh, and Ulster couldn't? Well, I suppose it didn't really mean as much for Connacht as it did for Ulster, to be honest. Like, the picture didn't change for Connacht in the same way that it changed for Ulster. Like, Dan didn't say they lost it because it didn't mean anything. He said they lost it because of when it didn't mean anything, if that makes sense. So, having built it up to a must-win all week, by the time they then went to kick off, the job was done. And I think you would have been, like, you would have been hoping that the return to rugby after six months would have outweighed the fact that the actual result was inconsequential. Um, but it it didn't. So, like, I'd asked Dan afterwards if he'd sensed, you know, on the way down or in the morning of the game, during warm-up even, if he'd noticed that things um, weren't at the intensity that they should be. And he sort of said that, you know, it's a case of sometimes it only takes little things to go against you. And I think if you look at how Ulster started, I think they were actually okay for the first couple of minutes, really. Like, they did what they would have wanted to do, which was get an early carry for Katsia, get an early carry for McCluskey. Had a couple of good uh, just plays off their, you know, they got into shape quickly um, in those first couple of minutes. But then you see Aki, who uh, was prominent throughout in all sorts of ways um, in a silent stadium you can you can hear him hear him all day long uh, but he has the hit on on Gilroy and then you see you know you've got the the knock on which was the first sort of instance so that looked like real rust so you've got the Marty Murray knock on then you've got a scrum penalty and that's how Connacht get down into the corner to that gives them the, the, where they score the first try from. So there was a direct correlation between that sort of focus and pre-season rust to Connacht taking the lead, and then they just never really seemed to get back up after that. Um, even when they came back to, you know, for what was a pretty terrible performance, they were one point down on the hour mark. But then, even, like, even then, you didn't really get a sense that they were going to come back and win it. Um, and then, sure enough, they barely saw the ball after that. I think they had the ball in the corner half once after bringing it back to a one-point game, you know. Is this the difference between being at the level Ulster at now, Adam, and reaching, well, getting closer to Leinster in terms of having that professional attitude and in terms of turning up for these games, winning these games whenever it doesn't really matter? Well, I think it's notable that you saw Leinster and Munster going hammer and tongs at each other on Saturday night in what was an absolutely cracking game uh, at the Aviva Stadium only a day before. Even though, you know, 
for Leinster, they have nothing on the line in terms of league position. But, you know, they still have that desire and that hunger to go out and get a win over Munster because, you know, that's that's the old rivalry. That's the big Irish rivalry. Um, for Ulster, I just think you wanted to see maybe a few more guys being quite proactive in terms of making sure that they have their shirt nailed down. You know, you're, you're looking at some of the guys in that lineup on Saturday or on Sunday, and you wouldn't say necessarily they are nailed on starters for whenever Ulster play that semi-final against Edinburgh. So there's a chance for you to go out there and really say, yeah, this is my shirt. This is, I want to be starting against Edinburgh. And there are very few guys in that team who can come away saying, I, I really think I did my my case of the world of good. The big question for Ulster is, do they have the depth to consistently challenge throughout a season? And then whenever you maybe lose three or four guys from your starting 15, is that team still good enough or still of a similar level that it will be able to compete in the biggest games? And for me, whenever you see guys going out at the weekend and you know they come out of the game not looking like they really had that drive, that real determination to put their hand up so that they're guaranteed that selection for the Edinburgh game. That's where I think Ulster were missing just that little bit of a step. I think for Connett, you maybe saw a few guys saying, yeah, we, we need to really make an impact. And even, you know, guys like Bundyaki, who was sensational um, on Sunday, you know, put, putting his hand up for Ireland. Stuart McCluskey, I thought, was one of Ulster's standout performers, putting his hand up for Ireland. But, you know, there are guys who I think really needed to, to step up their game in terms of pushing guys either around them or in front of them. I think it's worth pumping the brakes a little bit on this deification of Leinster because I've seen a lot of people say it, like, but Leinster weren't, like, Leinster weren't good. Sorry, Leinster weren't out of 10 out of 10, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 Leinster performance either. Like, Leinster had 17 penalties. Their line-out was rubbish. They won the game and then let Munster back into it. And Munster player won man of the match. The official man of the match, anyway. Like The difference with Leinster is, and everyone's always asking what the difference with Leinster is, the difference with Leinster is they have better players and they have more better players. So when they're off their game, they still win. You could, you could say that Leinster's attitude was off because they had all these problems that they don't normally have. Like, they couldn't take, they couldn't take a ball in the air. They turned the ball over at the line-out. They gave away 17 penalties. That's insane. Um, one of which led to a yellow card. And having essentially won the game on the hour mark, made it a game in the last 20 minutes, and then a monster come back into it. Like, Leinster will come away from that with plenty of, plenty of questions as well, in the same way that Ulster will. The difference was that they won because whenever they're off their game, they still win because they're a better team. It's not an attitude thing. The, the weekly donor fits in rather well uh, at this present moment. So he uh, he asks, uh, in the pre- and post-match interviews with Dan McFarland, he suggested an attitude problem towards what was essentially a dead rubber match. Do you think the early subs were just him protecting his key men, or was it an indication that those were the ones with an attitude problem? Well, I think Marcel is probably their best player in the first half, so I don't think... Um... <laughs> I don't think this was an attitude issue. Um, and Cooney as well. I think they were just... Actually, Dwayne Peel talked about it today with Cooney. I think they were just keen to get Matthewson a run. I think the plan may have actually been to get Madigan the same run, given that he certainly seemed to think that he was coming on at half-time. Like, I think it may have been even pre-planned that those guys would get 40 minutes, and then the way that the game was going, it changed a wee bit. Um, 
obviously they changed the props at halftime as well. But again, I would the props certainly weren't as good as Marcel and uh, and Cunha was. But I would hasten to think as well that that was something that was planned to get the other guys' minutes. We spoke a little bit last week about the change in interpretation on the breakdown laws and how that was impacting the return to rugby around the globe. Adam, how did you see that impacting this game and the, the Pro 14 over the weekend? Honestly, I thought Ulster's game specifically, I didn't think there was too much of an impact. There were a few instances where actually I thought it maybe should have been a bit more stringently applied and it wasn't, but I, I wouldn't say Ulster's game was sort of most impacted. I think you probably saw uh, it more in that Leinster game on Saturday, I, I know Johnny mentioned the Munster penalties there. I'm not sure what Munster's penalty count was. We, we've seen it in Super Rugby, both in New Zealand and Australia. It will take some time to get used to because referees are being told you have to really hammer down on these infringements in order to speed up the game. And I think that's something that players are just going to have to realise. You can't do this anymore. You can't come into ruck at 45 degrees and you know, make it a 50-50 call. You have to come in from behind the ruck, otherwise you will get pinged, or you have to get away out of the ruck quickly. I think for, for me, probably in, in the Ulster game, there were more just silly penalties from both teams than anything else. I, I don't think there were really any any of the new laws that came into effect. I mean, Connacht gave away a couple that were just really needless penalties, and then... Ulster, I thought I thought their discipline was very good. Actually, I thought Ulster's mm. discipline was great. So I, um, you got to give credit to them for actually keeping the discipline. Ulster have only given away a few penalties in that once this season. Like, but I would, I just wonder if an unintended consequences, one that we hadn't spoken about before or envisaged before, was the teams lost a bit of their bite to the breakdown. Connacht won two early turnovers off Ulster. Connacht were very proactive at the breakdown early on. I don't, yeah, but I don't, I don't think Ulster. I think Ulster had that early Casilla turnover, and then they didn't really get that uh, that close to disrupting Connacht's fall thereafter. And you know, they had more uh, more choke tackle turnovers and that breakdown turnovers, and it was something that Billy Burns sort of mentioned afterwards. And I th- he said that you know you want to be able to keep your aggression there, and I think that's what he was maybe alluding to the fact that they didn't or didn't seem to anyway after that uh, after that first Casilla turnover. Is this just going to be a case of? Finding the balance for Ulster over the next few weeks going to take time to settle into the, the new approach the referees are taking to this. It's finding balance for everybody. Like you look at all the rugby that's played over the last couple of months, and it invariably settles into a rhythm in the same way that all these different uh, law, law interpretations mm-hmm. do. But it certainly didn't have as much of an impact in the Pro 14 this weekend as we maybe expected. Yeah, one of the most interesting aspects of Ulster's. Team news was the inclusion of Jacob Stocktail at fullback. I think we, we maybe mentioned very briefly on last week's podcast that it was an option, but it wasn't something we were expecting uh, on the team. What can we take from that? That That's where uh, Dan saw Jacob starting this first game back. Is that something we're going to see more and more? Kenny Gadd asks, is that the future for Ulster and Ireland? Well, I certainly think he's expressed an interest in playing 15 in uh, in the past and I know he, he said today he was up for media today and he said he certainly sees it as a position where he can get more involved in the game because fullback will come into the line more often uh, as opposed to you know sitting out on the wing where you're just waiting for the ball to come to you uh, on a lot of occasions so I think 
certainly from his perspective, it's a position that he wants to explore playing in a bit more. Um, and he was mentioning also the fitness aspect of it, having to cover more in the backfield whenever he, he's defending as well. So it certainly seems like he's keen. I think from an Ulster perspective, they obviously like having Jacob on the ball. He was the second top carrier in the backs uh, on Sunday, and that was probably by design because you're able to drop him back to take clearing kicks. You're able, as I said, you're able to bring him into the midfield more often rather than having him wait out on the wing. So I, I would say this is probably something they're going to try and explore, especially with Will Addison out. Um, if Will Allison was there, you're probably having a bit more of a dilemma of if you move Jacob to 15, you then have to play Will at 13. Um, but without uh, without Will being available, you can move Jacob back to 15, and you, you don't have to take uh, Will out of that position. So I think I think he had a good game on Sunday. You know, he, he certainly was involved. Ulster tried to get him involved as much as possible, which you know, along with Stuart McCluskey, that's the two guys really in your back line who you want carrying most. So I think we'll, we'll probably see him there a bit more going forward. It allows, you know, if, if you had Robert Balakun available, it allows you to put him on one wing. You can rotate sort of a few guys on the other wing between Lee Ludic, uh, Craig Gilroy, Rob Little, uh, Matt Favis. You know, they, they have options on the other wing. So I think definitely looking forward. They're going to try this, but you know Riley, he's a quality winger. You know, he's a world-class winger. So even if the fullback experiment doesn't work, you can still slot him back in on the wing. And, you know, you, you've got... You can switch Lee across, who's played there at 15 so much. Um, hopefully, Will Addison will be back at some point down the line, and you'll be able to filter him back into the into the 15 jersey as well. So I think it's, it's certainly worthwhile trying because he has experience there in the past, He's done well whenever he's played there for Ulster. So, you know, if this is something that works out going forward, then it's a very low-risk, high-reward mm-hmm. strategy for Ulster. Johnny, what about short-term? Is this something we could see even for the, the playoff matches coming up, or is he more likely to go, go back to his normal position for those? Well, it's, I mean, it's worth noting that um, two or Connett's first two tries, I know he came from mistakes defensively or wide, Um Mm-hmm. So it's about balance. Do Ulster look a more solid defensive unit with Stockdale on the wing and Ludic at fullback? It's a, it's one of those things that's going to be hard to judge without more of a sample size. But yeah. I mean, it was certainly a misread for the first Connacht try where they ended up short of numbers out wide, having looked like they'd numbered up pretty well and just got sort of undone by that Buckley. You know, Buckley is sort of the hinge pass back and then after that they didn't really have to do very much Cardi just basically had to get the ball out to porch because um, Ulster jammed in from out wide and then the offload from Wooden in the build up to the set. Like the second try was fantastic but the offload from Wooden opened them up and then it was a sort of missed tackle or not even really made <laughs> made an attempt at making the tackle there mm-hmm. so their wide defence wasn't good even though that had nothing to do with Stockdale so are they going to look more solid with Stockdale as a wing where they're more used to that sort of defensive setup is going to be a thing for me. And But you're balancing that against, as I think Adam mentioned there, getting them on the ball. Like If you take the opening couple of minutes as an example, and bearing in mind that you had the normal sort of plague of a minute and a half of reset scrums over the first like three and a half minutes, 
he got on the ball three times. He he got on the ball over the course of the eighty minutes as many times as his two wingers combined. So that's mm-hmm. where the advantage for Ulster comes in, being able to get the ball in his hands more and more. But they also didn't look defensively solid out wide. Mm. So what do you do this Saturday in terms of preparing for those uh, for those knockout games? Do you put him back on the wing? Do they give him a run out at wing before those games, or what do you do? I think there's definitely a merit, and maybe I'm speaking from a bit of coaching and experience here for for obvious reasons, but I think there's definitely merit for Ulster to sort of line up where numbers don't matter. In a case of, you name Stockdale a fullback and Ludic on the wing, but you can switch them defensively. So whenever you're lining up in a defensive pattern, just switch Stockdale back to the wing and put Ludic at fullback. Then you have sort of the best of both worlds where you can put Stockdale in at fullback whenever you're attacking and you can put Ludic on the wing. Now, I know it doesn't quite work whenever you're defending because obviously the ideal is you want him fielding kicks in behind so he can you know, get a bit of a head of steam up whenever he's running with the ball. But in terms of defending off set pieces where you know that teams are going to try and attack you with ball in hand rather than try and kick it, I think you can definitely bring Stockdale back into into the defensive line just so there's that familiarity going off what Johnny said there. Um, so that I think that that's the kind of versatility that naming both Ludic and uh, and Stockdale in the starting lineup gives you because you are able to sort of mix and match depending on the situation. If you're expecting the kick to come, put Stockdale back. If you're expecting them to attack with ball in hand, you bring Stockdale up into the defensive line. I don't think you necessarily have to have a rigid setup in that back three, if you get what I'm saying. Mm. And you miss Balakun defensively, obviously, as well. Mm. Just miss him all round. Just miss him in general. I I miss him. Um, What would you do, Johnny, for this Saturday's game? Where would you play Stockdale? Uh, I'd probably have him on the wing and a little good fullback. But But you're not Dan McFarlane, Johnny. Exactly. Exactly, I would have always had pain at fullback in cave 13, but that never happened either. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the two new recruits who uh, got their first run at the weekend? First of all, Johnny Albie Matthewson. I know you wrote a little bit about him in your five talking points, which went online on Monday, if anybody hasn't had a look at those yet. Yeah, I thought he was good. Um, I thought he brought a bit of tempo off the bench. That's not a knock on Cooney. Thought that he brought uh, he brought something a bit different maybe than Connett were were expecting. I thought he showed a really good awareness as you would expect from somebody that's got his level of experience. Thought his pass um, for Stockdale's try really opened up because it, like I thought an awful lot of Ulster's carries in those situations purely because they couldn't really get the the fluency in their their attack like Ulster liked to go wide wide but um, I thought they ended up having to keep it tight in those situations just because you know if you look at the sort of three four five pass moves they weren't really there because invariably there was um, some knock on or something went wrong in the, in the build up whereas how they executed that try was <laughs> um pretty stark contrast into what else was going on you know it was just missing I think it was McCluskey and Treadwell just missing missing out the meteor carriers if you like uh, going out to Burns and then Burns getting the ball out to Stockdale and I think as Stockdale said himself today you know 10, 10 meters out anybody could have uh, could have finished it from there so that was mm-hmm. one of their better worked 
passages and just thought it showed good awareness and even just being a bit of a nuisance as well um, on Connell's ball too. Adam, what about Ian Madigan? How, how did he fare other than being absolutely clattered by Bundyaki? Yeah, but apart from, apart from running on at halftime whenever he, he wasn't coming on, um, I thought he was grand. Um, look, well, I'll, I'll get the, the Aki try out of the way first. It's very hard to stop him from that range. And I think Madigan made his best attempt at the tackle that he could. Like it, It's not a case of he shirked away from it. He tried to tackle him, but... Whenever you've got uh, Aki running at you at pace like that, you know you really have to hit him hard to to stop him. So uh, you can't blame him for that. And to be honest, I'm surprised Ulster didn't line up McCluskey opposite Aki in that situation. But again, they know defensive sets better than I do. But I thought again, Madigan just in tandem with Matthewson, I thought they ran the game very well in that second half. I thought I just thought he did add that little bit of an extra zip. There was a great wee inside ball he had. I think it was to Treadwell, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it, it was just that little bit of extra ingenuity whenever he came on. He, he was willing to try things, and I'm sure the coaches told him, you know, go out there and, and give us a bit of life in, in this second half. And, you know, I, I certainly think both of them did themselves very very proud in terms of what they offered on debut, because it's, it's not easy making your debut in a situation like this, especially whenever you know, you're know you trying to really make an impact early on. And um, I certainly think Ulster will be very will be very pleased to have you know those two as options on the bench. John, I think it was potentially your first time seeing Sam Carter in an Ulster shirt over a year <laughs> after he was announced as a player. No, I was at the bad game where he got injured, so oh, right, okay. for, for any length of time. Yeah. Okay. And um, he came on, obviously, earlier than he would have been expected. I, like, I wasn't sure about that line-out um, that Alan O'Connor got injured, and it looked to me like there was a sort of launch across the launch across the gap mm. that destabilised him. But um, He had a lot to say to the touch judge after he landed. He was firing a lot of verbals at that touch judge. Mm. It was sort of like we saw in reverse... For the monster game, where they sort of fired Simon across the gap, and uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> like you go up, you can't like you can't jump into somebody because I was sort of probably more off the back of the Simon incident the night before. I was looking to see whether there was an issue with whether Ulster just dropped him or not, but it looked to me like Connor basically threw somebody into him. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you could see as soon as he got up, he was. Um, very, very unsteady on his feet, and Kieran Treadwell actually had to sort of try and bring bring attention to the fact that he was um, wobbling a bit. Definitely a bad knock to the head. And mm. um, so, yeah, we'll not see him this week, and probably, you know, you might not see him the week after. I suppose it depends on the he's in the return to play protocols now. Mm. So, but in terms of Carter, like nice takes in the line out, and what was a difficult day at the line out for Ulster. So he sort of helped uh, helped shore that up a bit, I suppose. Didn't see an awful lot of him in. Uh, in open play, I suppose that's maybe to be expected given how long uh, how long he'd been out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, Adam, uh, I'll let you feel the next of our listener questions. This one's from Ian Kernahan. He just asked, what about Gareth Milicinovic? Obviously he wasn't in the squad on the bench or anything on uh, Sunday. So what do we know about him? Where is he? Well, he was there. He, he was there. He was among the extra players. I... Johnny and I were going through and we were sort of noting the players who were taking warm-up and I I don't recall seeing him out there. Maybe he was. But he, he might have been a non-playing reserve or something like that. 
so he, he is there, he is available. Ulster have been very open and up front by saying he is sort of third pe- uh, third in the pecking order, tight head mm-hmm. behind Marty Murray and Tom O'Toole, which is understandable given those two are, are on the Ireland radar. So um, he will get a shot. It potentially won't be before the end of this season. Maybe, maybe it will be. It's a lot of games in a, in a short period of time for Ulster, so they might have to rotate him in at some point. But certainly he's someone you'll be looking at for next season now that he's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll get him into a few games whenever Oto and Murr are hopefully away with Ireland. Um, and certainly you know, all, all the reports from, from him have been good in terms of what he's brought to training, in terms of uh, what, what he'll hopefully bring whenever he's able to play games. It's, it's just unfortunate he's had to wait so long, but it's great to see that they're actually involving him. Johnny, how was it uh, being down at the Aviva? Obviously, strange times, uh, rugby being played behind closed doors. How did you find being there, being one of the, the very few privileged enough to be allowed in? Oh, it was, uh, it was good, obviously. Um, getting to a game for the first time in six months. Uh, first time getting to a game of any sort since, like, Ireland, England and Twickenham in the Six Nations, so uh, it's a long old gap. Um, the atmosphere, or I suppose lack, lack of atmosphere, is obviously worse for fans not being able to be there, whereas from a journalism point of view, it produces an interesting element that you don't normally get and that you can hear what the players are saying. Yeah. Now, not that I'd ever want to see Ulster playing in an empty Ravenhill, but it would be even more interesting in Ravenhill where you'd be close enough to hear mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. I think like Ferris on the TV broadcast could clearly hear more of what was going on than we could because we're at the very top of the stand. Mm-hmm. I thought to be able to hear just how much, just how much slagging was going on was interesting. <laughs> uh, like in what way? Like sledging? Well, yeah, like yeah. you... Um, so whenever Ulster, whenever Stockdale, I think, was it Cardi took him out in the air, I think? I can't, can't remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and Ulster got the penalty. And I think, yeah, Cooney picked up the ball, gave it to Burns, and then Burns gave it back to Cooney. So it was clear, you know, just a discussion on whether they were going to kick for kick for the posts or try and drive over with the line out. And whenever they decided to kick for kick for the post and not uh, I suppose not try and test Connett's uh, mall defence you can just really hear really clearly hear Finley Beelham going woo posts <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, like yeah. basically just taking the mick out of Ulster for not trying not trying to go for the corner and on like a bigger boost then still whenever they missed the penalty mm. I didn't mind the fact that there were no fans as much as I thought there would be and it's probably because you know we were very privileged and that we did get to hear what was going on on the pitch which is just something you know you so rarely get to hear and I almost think people watching on TV and having to listen to it with the crowd noise it probably actually ruins it a wee bit because the chance to hear what these guys are saying on the pitch is I think something that is actually much better having piped in crowd noise. What about the game this weekend? Before we get to Murrayfield, there's uh, Leinster at the Aviva still to go. Uh, I think this was something that Billy Burns and Dan maybe as well have both spoken about after uh, that game on Sunday. How do they approach this game or 
is that impacted in any way by the defeat on Sunday and more importantly the manner of the defeat would that have changed the way they approach this in the build up to the semi-final I'm not sure 100% whether it will but I think that it probably should and even just the way that the substitutes went like do you, like, do you want John Cooney going into a semi-final having played 40 minutes in 6 months probably not Like mm-hmm. your props have all played 40 minutes so you're going to want to get those guys um just more rugby in their legs because if they had have looked like they were immediately up to speed in the games in pre-season between the squad and the eight weeks of fitness or whatever had got them up to the level they needed to get at, then maybe you would have been more confident. But I I can't see how you would look at that performance and feel positive about um, that being the last thing you put out there before semi-final. So I think it, it has to, in a way, change your approach to this week, even though this week, again, you know, the result doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So what do you think in terms of uh, of a team? See many changes, Adam? Or what would you change? What wouldn't you change? You'll probably see a small handful of changes. You know, you might rotate the props. You'll, you'll see Rob Herring definitely come back in if he, if he is fit and available to start because... You know, you, you need him playing some significant minutes going into the Edinburgh game. You know, you'll see James Hume probably come out if he if he's not fit from his concussion. So there's, I, I I'm very much in the mindset of, I think Ulster do need to play a lot of guys into form here. I I don't think they should be going for wholesale changes or anything because after the performance of last week, I think there's probably enough there to suggest that they need to keep as much continuity as possible just to make sure that that 23 are playing to their optimum capacity. Because, again, if if it turns out that they'll, they come into next week's game and they start playing like they thought they would last week, then, again, you've got the option of bringing Marcel off early. You've got the option of bringing John off early or so, something like that. You mm-hmm. can work out things like that. But you've got to have some form going into that Edinburgh game because if you make wholesale changes and next week goes badly then all of a sudden or so, sorry this is this weekend goes badly all of a sudden you've got almost two sets of players who have both played below par going into a semi-final against an Edinburgh team who okay they weren't great against Glasgow but they were a bit better than Ulster were so I think you've, you've got to try and play a few guys into form here, so I'll say, I'll say you'll probably see a, a few changes, but not too many. Johnny, what will we see in terms of the Leinster team? Do we know what sort of, of side Ulster are likely to be facing here? There's not going to be a return for Dan Levy, which had been mooted. He's going to be another another little bit along the track, possibly in those A games that are coming up the week of the final, I think. Tag Furlong might come back in, having not played against Munster. Then you've got guys that went off. Sexton, Kane Healy, they are available, but whether they play or not is a different matter. Leinster's team's probably going to be more interesting than Ulster's team in a lot of ways, because they've got that game with Munster, and that sort of becomes almost a bigger focus for them than an Ulster semi-final does, in a way, because I think Leinster's players have more of a track record. If you look at somebody like Johnny Sexton as the example, that doesn't play an awful lot of Pro 14 and gets dropped back in, sometimes even in in the case of Ireland, you know, he might play a Six Nations game having not played in any amount of time. Those mm-hmm. players have more of a track record of doing that, I think, than Ulster's players do. So 
I think there's a real chance that you see much more heavy rotation in Leinster's team and still rotation for Ulster, which is much more moderate. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that our predictions mean anything, but I take it nobody's uh, predicting an Ulster win here this weekend? It all depends how many changes Leinster make. Like, if Leinster changes their entire team, then I think Ulster have a chance. If Leinster go moderately with their changes, then mm. Leinster will yeah. probably win. For, for me, this week, the result is not important. And no, of course. Billy, Billy, Burns, Billy Burns said after the after the Connacht game, that Ulster are a team that play better with confidence, and confidence comes from results. Now, I agree that Ulster are a team that play better with confidence. Any team plays better with whenever they're confident. But for me, I think you've got to get the performance first and foremost. If Ulster won that game last week, I still don't think they've been coming away happy because they were so below par for such long stretches of the game. I think this week they have to show some more semblance of what they want to, they have to show a bit more of an attacking edge. You know, I think it was they only made something like four clean breaks, and that's exactly how many they made. They made four clean breaks across the entire eighty minutes against Connacht. So there's no real cutting edge in that Ulster team. So you'll want to see something more along the lines of, you know, a few clean breaks, a few good finishes. But even if Leinster are putting points on them at the other end, I think you need that cutting edge to be shown, but also you need that defence to be there as well. So it's, it's a really tough balance because the defence wasn't as watertight as they would have hoped to. But if, if they came away from this having lost, but having shown massive improvements from last week, I think they take that over winning, but still having a lot of questions over are they actually battle-ready for going into the semi-final against Edinburgh. Finally then, very quickly, the last piece of uh, news we have just came out shortly before the we're recording here about the two South African sides in the Pro 14. They're not going to be here for the rest of 2020, certainly at least, but what does this look like, Johnny, for the future of the Pro 14 and the, the South African involvement? Well, I don't know that we'll see it as a Pro 14 again. Either say it as a Pro 12 or a Pro 16, I think. It's it's never a good thing that that many rugby players are going to be looking for jobs. and It's not good for the area of the Eastern Cape that their um, rugby team can't field anymore. But, like, it didn't really bring anything, to be honest. Mm. Uh, No, hold hold on, hold on. (laughs) Let's just hold back a bit. The Cheetahs made the playoffs. I'm talking about the Kings. Oh, sorry. Well, the, the Kings brought... A trip for me to South Africa. So yeah, that's a that's a, that's a very uh, a very rugby. Um, <laughs> that's why Georgia won't be in the Six Nations ahead of Italy ever. Yeah, like from a rugby perspective, they didn't bring anything, so I don't think it's going to weaken the competition any. But as I say, it's never going to be a good thing for the sport to see a team not be able to uh, thrive in such a important area of ru- traditionally rugby in South Africa. Whether this means that you now have four teams from five whenever you, you can travel again coming from South Africa or whether it means you go back to 12 and just have it as a, as what it was before. If, um, still still a cross-border competition, obviously, but without the cross-hemisphere element to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see uh, as we go into the future just what happens with that. But... Uh, That's for another week because we're out of time for now. So we will be back next week to 
to look back at the Leinster game and ahead to the Edinburgh semi-final. But for now, from Adam McKendry. Glad to be back, guys. From Jonathan Bradley. Yes. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.